0: Tonic and Kremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Well, once again, it's time to keep that weekly appointment with our good friend and host, Dr. Watson.
1: Good evening, Mr. Bell. Draw up your chair and settle down. Thank you. That's it.
0: All ready with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure, Dr. Yes? Watson? Yes,
1: And as I was going over my notes on the case, I I came across this. I think it might interest you.
0: What is it? It looks like an ordinary
1: piece of clay. It is clay, but I assure you it's very far from ordinary. This piece of dried earth enabled Sherlock Holmes to solve one of the most diabolical murders that we ever encountered. I call the case the singular affair of the babbling butler.
0: I can hardly wait to hear the story.
1: I'm sure you'll wait long enough to have a word with our listeners now, won't you, Mr. Bell?
0: Yes, Dr. Watson, but it won't take me a moment. In a recent poll, women picked the ten best-dressed men in America. These men were all men at the top. Statesmen, governors, movie stars, producers, and millionaires. And I know you'll be interested in hearing how a recent survey showed that Kreml hair tonic is preferred among America's top-flight executives and most successful men. But why shouldn't Kreml be... Cremel contains a special combination of hair-grooming ingredients, which is found in no other hair tonic. This is why Cremel gives a man's hair such a natural, well-groomed look, such a handsome, clean-cut appearance. Cremel also keeps hair neatly in place longer, with an attractive, healthy-looking luster. Yet it never leaves hair looking or feeling greasy, sticky, or dirty. After you apply Cremel, you can rub your hand over your hair, and your hair feels so delightfully clean. Notice how no greasy film comes off on your hand or on your hat band. Just use a little cremel in the morning, and at night your hair looks as neatly groomed as when you combed it in the morning. K-R-E-M-L, cremel hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the singular affair of the babbling butler?
1: Well, that adventure began on a November evening many years ago. For four days, a dense yellow fog had virtually marooned Holmes and me in our Baker Street lodgings. The first day, the great man had spent in cross-indexing his huge book of references. The second and third had been patiently occupied upon a subject which he had recently made his hobby, the music of the Middle Ages. But when on the fourth day we still saw the heavy brown swirl drifting past us and condensing in oily drops upon the window panes, my old friend's active and impatient nature began to assert itself. He started to pace restlessly about our room, ...in a fever of suppressed energy. Confound this, fog! Oh, do stop pacing up and down, Holmes. No good getting angry with the weather. That's one problem even you can't do anything about. It isn't the weather, Watson. It's the infernal dullness of the London criminal these days. Come over here to the window. Oh, what is it, Holmes? Look out there. See how the figures loom up, are dimly seen... ...and then blend once more into the fog. What a night for a thief, for a murderer, Watson. He could roam London as a tiger does the jungle unseen until he pounces. It's fortunate for this community that I'm not a criminal. Yes, it is indeed. Suppose that I were Brooks or Woodhouse or any of the 50 men who have good reason for taking my life. How long could I survive against my own pursuit? A summons, a bogus appointment, and all would be over. What a depressing thought. The only thing that depresses me is inactivity. Why doesn't something happen? Why doesn't someone come to me with a problem? Uh, It sounds as if your prayer's been answered. I hope so. See who it is, Watson, will you? It'll save Mrs. Hudson a trip. Yes, of course. It's all right, Mrs. Hudson. Ask the the gentleman to come up, please. This way up, sir. You wish to see Mr. Sherlock Holmes?
2: Uh, Yes, sir, I do.
1: Then come along in. My name's Watson, Dr. Watson... And this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes.
2: Oh, how do you do, Mr. Holmes? Dr. Watson. Uh, My name is Jenkins. I'm
1: butler to Sir Roderick Martin. Sir Roderick Martin? Indeed. Sit down, Jenkins. Thank you, sir. Sir Roderick Martin, isn't he the theatrical producer? Yes, Watson. And he is quite famous in his own circle for his cynicism and a certain mordant wit. Your master needs my services, I presume, Jenkins? Uh, Yes, Mr. Holmes,
2: he does. He's in desperate trouble, and he'd like you to come over to his house at
1: once. Well, sir. What kind of trouble is he in?
2: Oh, please don't ask any questions, sir. D- just come to the house and see for yourselves.
1: I've long wanted to meet Sir Roderick. I believe it was he who gave currency to that pun. Though he might be more humble, there's no police like Holmes. That's not a pun. Eh? No police like Holmes. I'm glad it amuses you, Watson. Oh, sir? Oh, I'm
2: for you to come (laughs) with. Please, gentlemen, come with me.
1: Whatever your master's problems may be, I think I would enjoy a discussion with him, perhaps on the topic of humility. Yes, Jenkins, we'll accompany you at once.
2: (laughs) This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and... Dr. Watson, sir.
1: How do you do, Sir Roderick? How do you do? Uh, Jenkins. Oh, how very odd. Now, why should Jenkins make such a meteoric exit? I presume, Sir Roderick, he wished to leave us alone. Indeed, what a singularly depressing thought. Well, so now that he's gone, you can talk quite freely. My dear Dr. Watson, I've been in the habit of talking freely ever since I had the pleasure of insulting my nurse at the age of four. She was a peculiarly revolting female by the name of Pearl. After 44 years, I still can't think of a more inappropriate name for her. Sir Roderick... Your childhood reminiscences are fascinating, but supposing we get down to business? Very well, Holmes. To what do I owe the, uh, Well, for lack of a better word, the pleasure of this visit? Your butler came to fetch us. He said that you were in desperate trouble and needed our help. Jenkins told you that. I can only assume that he stole more than his usual quota of brandy today. I've noticed in the past that alcohol seems to give him the quaintest delusions... Then uh, you don't wish to consult me professionally? No, Holmes, I don't. Nor do I wish the services of a doctor. Therefore, I suggest you both retire and ask Jenkins for your hats and an explanation. Good evening, gentlemen. It's one of his stupid jokes, Holmes. The banders trying to make a fool of you. I think not, Watson. It'd be a singularly pointless joke and far below his standard. No, I believe there's some other game afoot. Though Sir Roderick dismissed us somewhat unceremoniously, I think we may still be reasonably certain of a welcome in the servant's quarters. You're going to talk to the butler? Yes, Watson. I'm certain he's neither been drinking nor suffering from delusions. I'm convinced that the man is in mortal terror of his life. (laughs)
2: Thank heavens you came to see me, Mr. Holmes. Well,
1: how could we resist it when Sir Roderick told us that your entire story was a lie?
2: Oh, you must forgive me, gentlemen.
1: I, I was desperate with fear, and I, I had to attract your attention. But why? You've accomplished your purpose now. You've thoroughly roused my curiosity. But I repeat, why? Because I'm in terror of my life, sir. Someone's trying to murder me, oh, what reason have you for saying that, Jenkins?
2: Last night, an attempt was made to kill me. Oh? Please describe the circumstances. Well, sir, I, I was carrying a cake of wine down into the cellar. It slipped from my arms and hit the stairs, and then the stairs collapsed. When I examined them, I found that they'd been sawed almost through.
1: Hmm. I assume that you are the only member of the household who ever visits the wine cellar? Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
2: That was a deliberate trap to break my neck. Well, if I'd stepped down, it would have been the end of me. Oh, Mr. Holmes, I... I'm only a servant. I couldn't pay you much, Now, oh, but... oh,
1: my dear Jenkins, I assure you that Mr. Holmes is as interested in preventing the murder of a servant as he is in saving the life of a prime minister. Jenkins, have you any idea who might want to kill you?
2: There's only one person on earth with a motive for killing me, son. and that's my master.
1: It's Roderick Martin. Oh, come, 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 my dear man. You're surely mistaken. What reason do you have for suspecting him?
2: Oh, it's this way, Mr. Holmes. A year ago, a certain lady killed herself when Sir Roderick jilted her. Good gracious. Well, the lady. affair was all hushed up. And huh? Nobody knew Sir Roderick was even involved. But her brother swore to avenge her death. That brother is a very close friend
1: of Sir Roderick's. but has never suspected him. Complicated situation, eh, Holmes? Yes, Watson. I take it, Jenkins, you are the only person who knows that your master was guilty? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if I were dead, his secret would be safe.
2: No, Mr. Holmes... Please, what can I do?
1: I, I know he's planning my death. You've got to save me, sir. Jenkins, my advice is this. Write a full statement of the circumstances in this case. Sign and seal it and hand it over to me for safekeeping. Inform your master that if anything happens to you, I shall make public the contents of the statement. That's a very good idea. Huh? I'll do that, sir. I'll do that. I'll bring it to you in the morning. Splendid. Come on, Watson. Oh, uh... By the way, Jenkins, what's the name of your doctor? My doctor, sir, I... I never said. I... You never said what?
2: Oh, oh, oh yeah, doctor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, doctor David Stanley in Wimpole Street. Doctor
1: David Stanley. I see. Well, good night, Jenkins. We shall expect you in the morning. <laughs> but why are we going to see
3: Doctor
1: Stanley? Firstly, because I want his physician's opinion as to whether Jenkins might be suffering from hysterical delusions. Well, as a doctor myself, I say that's more likely. I must say his actions tonight hardly seem the behavior of a sane man. When a man is badly frightened, Watson, it's sometimes hard to judge his actions by more rational standards. Incidentally, did you notice the way he started when I asked him the name of his doctor? Almost certainly, Dr. David Stanley is the vengeful killer. By George, now that you mention it, I do remember hearing some gossip in Harley Street about Stanley's sister killing herself. But uh, nobody seemed to know the motive. Here's the house, Watson. Well, let's, let's hope the doctor's at home. If he isn't, we haven't come very far out of our way. I hope we can wait for you, Governor. No, thank you, Cabby. Here you are. Oh, thank you, Governor. I can hear a piano playing. Someone is at home. That seems an eminently logical deduction. There's no need to be funny, Holmes. Good evening. My name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson.
3: How do you do? I'm Mrs. Stanley. How we wondered
1: if we might have a few words with your husband.
3: With David? We'll come in, won't you, gentlemen? Mr. Holmes, you're a detective, aren't you?
1: Yes, Mrs. Stanley.
3: I hope you haven't come here to talk to David about his sister's death.
1: Not directly, madam. Though my mission is not uh, unconnected with that tragedy. Then I can't let you see... Well, really, Mrs. Stanley, my friend only wishes No, sisters. gentlemen.
3: For the sake of his sanity, I daren't let you talk to him. Ever since his sister died, he's been like a soul tormented. Spends most of his time in there playing those frightening compositions of his on the piano. I can't let him be subjected to any more questioning about his sister. Even I daren't mention her...
1: Sylvia? I've heard voices. I, uh... Oh, oh. Who are these gentlemen?
3: It's Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Dear. How do you
1: do, Dr. Stella? I hope we're not intruding, sir. The great Sherlock Holmes and his friend, Dr. Watson, intruding? Well, of course not. I'm flattered. Come in. Come in, gentlemen.
3: Please don't say anything about his sister's death.
1: Don't worry, Mrs. Stanley. We won't.
3: No, no, no. Of course
1: not. Holmes, I... I believe you're something of a musician. I... I'd like your opinion of this.
3: David, dear, they haven't come here to listen to me I don't
1: care what they came here for. This is what they're going to hear. <laughs> well, how'd you like it? A strange, savage melody, Dr. Stanley. Yes, indeed, sir. Rather depressing, if you remember saying so. Well, why shouldn't it be? When it's finished, I call it... Uh... A frenody for a dead sister. That's what you've come to see me about, isn't it, Mr. Sherlock Holmes?
3: Now, David, are yeah, you must Sylvia,
1: be... I should prefer that you leave us alone. Yes, but, David... I said alone, Sylvia.
3: Very
1: well. Uh, Sylvia's a girl who can't face up to facts. But I can. Tell me, Holmes, what have you found out about my sister's death? Dr. Stanley, I'm afraid you're laboring under misapprehension. I know nothing of your sister. I came here to talk about Jenkins, Sir Roderick Martin's He butler. told us that you were his physician. Oh, Jenkins, eh? Mm. Uh, what do you want to know about him? Has he been uh, ill recently? Well, a few months ago, he had a bad attack of enteric fever. Why do you ask? Enteric sometimes leaves bad after effects. Would you say, Doctor, that Jenkins has suffered no lasting damage? Hallucinations, for instance? No, well, that's time. He was out of his head for a while, but uh, I'd say he's perfectly sound now. Thank you, Dr. Stanley. That's all we wanted to know. You mean to say that you came here simply to find out about the state of Jenkins' sanity? Just that, sir. Good evening. Good night, Dr. Stanley. I think you had something else on your mind before you talked to Sylvia. Huh. Jenkins may be sane, but that man's on the edge of a mental collapse if I ever saw one. I quite agree, Watson. Hmm. Mrs. Stanley seems to have gone upstairs. I think we'll let ourselves out. Well, Holmes, that was rather a fruitless trip. We didn't learn much there, except that Jenkins is compass mentis. I disagree, old chap. We learned a great deal more than that. Tomorrow morning I shall lose no time in calling on Sir Roderick again. That horrible fuller? For heaven's sake, why? Because he's the focal point in a grim tragedy. Inevitably, either he will kill Jenkins or Dr. Stanley will kill him. <laughs> My dear Holmes, I'm accustomed to facing two brown eggs at breakfast, two brown eggs lightly boiled, followed by a leisurely perusal of the times. I see no reason why this day should commence any differently. Sir Roderick, I've explained to you You've explained nothing, including your own presumption, Holmes. I can see no cause for your meddling, even if I understood precisely what you were driving at, which I don't. Well, surely, Sir Roderick, you must see that my friend is trying to protect you. Dr. Watson, I once had the acute misfortune to read one of your shockingly florid stories. What? Uh, I can only assume that your gross imagination has affected your daily life. Since your own safety seems to be a matter of indifference to you, Sir Roderick, I may point out that I know too much. If you plan on being a danger yourself, Holmes, you're impertinent, a quality which is attractive only in a younger person and of a different sex. What is even more unpardonable, you're boring. Please leave and take this bumbling veterinary surgeon with you. It's extremely offensive. Before uh, I leave, uh, I insist on knowing uh, one uh, thing. Uh, is Where is your butler, Jenkins. Uh, a new man opened the door just now. Jenkins, Jenkins... Oh, yes, yes, yes. I omitted to tell you. Um, Jenkins has left my service. You discharged him, I suppose? Not exactly, though it is my invariable rule to discharge any servant found guilty of a crime. A crime? And what was Jenkins' crime? He committed suicide. Oh.
0: just a moment we shall hear more about this ironic crime of suicide. But first, men, nice looking attractive hair means so much to a man's appearance. And one of the first requisites of handsome, healthy looking hair is a hygienic scalp. So start at once. Take better care of the hair you've got. Change to cremel hair tonic. No other hair tonic keeps the hair more neatly in place without looking or feeling greasy. But men, Kremel does lots more than keep hair looking handsome. Its light oils have a fine lubricating effect on a dry scalp. At the same time, it removes itchy, loose dandruff. Notice how alive, how invigorated your scalp feels. And men, you like to massage Kremel on your scalp because it's such a clean hair tonic. Never feels greasy or sticky. And if your hair is so dry that it breaks and falls when you comb it, Kremel actually helps condition the hair in that it makes it feel softer, more pliable, and look as if it had some body to it. So men, for handsome groomed hair and a more hygienic scalp, use Kreml daily. Buy a bottle of Kreml at any drugstore. Ask for an application at your barber's. K-R-E-M-L. Kreml hair tonic. That famous modern hair tonic preferred among America's most successful men. <laughs> Dr. Watson, this story really has me on the edge of my chair. So the butler Jenkins had committed
1: suicide? Oh, that's what Sir Roderick told us, Mr. Bell, Though we had great difficulty in persuading him to let us examine the, the dead man's room. Finally, after Sherlock Holmes had pointed out that if we couldn't handle the case, and Scotland Yard certainly would, we were allowed to visit that uh, room of death. The evidence of suicide was apparent. After a brief examination, Holmes turned to me... And said, What do you make of it, Watson? Obvious signs of strychnine poisoning, Holmes. Quite clearly, a suicide. Yes. The other servants told us that they had to break the door down to get in. It was locked and bolted from the inside. Your examination proved that there was no sign of the lock having been tampered with. Precisely. And he drank the poison from this glass here by the bed. Yes, I'd say that there's been nothing in this glass but strychnine and water... Hello. What's this on the carpet? Looks like a piece of clay. It is. And it bears the imprint of a heel. From From a a man's boot. Look at the size. And observe the color of the clay, Watson. This particular specimen is quite rare. I shall take it back to Baker Street and examine it. I can't see any logic in this case, Holmes. After all, people terrified of murder... Don't go committing suicide. And patience, old fellow. I'm convinced that this is one case where an arm the laboratory may aid the solution more than all the logic in the world. Well, Holmes, what do your tests with a microscope tell you? First of all, that the glass contained nothing but strychnine and water. Nobody could drink that without knowing it. That proves that it was suicide. Not necessarily, Watson. I've also tested the clay. In addition to being a very rare clay, it's oddly impregnated with certain acids and chemicals, exactly as it might be if a doctor picked it up on his heel outside his house and later went into his laboratory. A doctor? That would explain the poison. Exactly. Jenkins was under his doctor's care. Supposing the physician prescribed a draft to be taken on retiring, why question its peculiarly bitter taste? Jenkins was a frightened man. Undoubtedly, he bolted and locked his door last night and then, trustingly, drank the fatal poison. All of which points to Dr. Stanley. Quite. But I don't understand it. He had a motive for murdering Sir Roderick, and Sir Roderick had a motive for murdering Jenkins. But all the evidence points to the fact that Dr. Stanley murdered Jenkins. It doesn't make any sense. But it does, Watson. Precise, accurate, and terrifying sense. We must return to Sir Roderick's house at once. There's not a moment to be lost. Holmes, you and your friend here are positively pachydermatists. Twice I've told you to mind your own business, and yet you come back for more insults. Am I to assume that you find my personal charm so utterly irresistible? On the contrary, sir, you can assume that your personal charm utterly escapes us. Sir Roderick, the only reason we've returned is because I'm convinced you're in grave danger. As I told you before, Holmes, I'm eminently capable of taking care of myself. In any case, I'm expecting Dr. Stanley, my physician, here in a few minutes. Sir Roderick, by all you hold sacred... I I hold nothing sacred, Holmes, save human life. By which, of course, I mean my own. Then, for the sake of your own life, sir, allow us to slip behind that tapestry while your doctor visits you. Behind the arras, (laughs) eh? The proper place for rats, if I remember my hamlet correctly. Oh, that's undoubtedly the doctor now. Then please let us hide. You won't regret it, I promise you. Very well, you may hide. Scurry away. Come on, Watson. Right, your home. Come
3: in. Roderick, I had to see you. Yes,
1: so it would appear... Sylvia, if you have to come making dramatic entrances in my house... ...at an hour that virtually represents the crack of dawn... ...I do you should take a little more pains with your ensemble.
3: Roderick, you... Your
1: dress is only suitable for tea and crumpets with the vicar's wife at Tooting Beck.
3: Oh, Roderick, stop trying to be facetious. I came here because I had to talk to you before David got here.
1: Well, I'm expecting him at any moment. Yes,
3: I know that. You're his closest friend, Roderick. You've got to do something for him. He's ill. He's mentally unbalanced. All he thinks about and talks about and dreams about is Angela. He's even composed a horrible piece of music that he calls...
1: Sylvia! David! What are you doing here? Everyone's being extraordinarily melodramatic this morning. It's a pity, David, but you have not caught your wife and me in a compromising situation. Uh, Chiefly, I admit, because I find her somewhat uh, colorless.
3: Roderick, how dare you! I
1: suggest that you leave us, my dear. You!
3: Uh, You!
1: I believe the word you're groping for is beast.
3: You beast! Uh,
1: Hmm. Roderick, you put up a convincing caricature of being the inhuman man of the world. But if people only knew how you'd stood by me during the past year... No, no, I... no, no, David, this has been a most emotional morning. For heaven's sake, don't you become lacrimose. I'm not. I'm just saying that if you hadn't stood by me since Angela's death, I don't know what I'd have done. you would probably been back on your feet long before this, but uh, you came here this morning in your uh, professional capacity, David. Yes, yes, I know, Roderick. How are you feeling? Hmm. I, uh don't like your colour. I don't like my symptoms. I can't sleep. My nerves have been more than usually on edge for the past three weeks, David. You promised me some medicine, you know. Uh, I brought it with me. It's in my bag here. Uh, do you have a glass and some water? Yes, on the sideboard, though. Good. Well, this will steady you up quite a bit. Now, I'll add a little water. So, uh, here you are, Roderick. Drink this. I wouldn't, Sir Roderick. It won't do much good to the only thing you hold sacred. Sherlock Holmes... What are you doing here? Your opening conversation begins to become somewhat monotonous, Dr. Stanley. I'm here because I don't like to see murder committed, even Sir Roderick. You mean that Dr. Stanley just tried to poison him? Certainly. Just as he poisoned the butler, Jenkins. Mr. Holmes, where are you I tried to protect Jenkins against Sir Roderick. I was stupid enough not to see the other motive at first. The riddles are fascinating, Holmes, but not when they become personal. What are you talking about? It's a simple equation, Sir Roderick. Dr. Stanley attended Jenkins during his bout of enteric. He told us himself that the butler was delirious. It was then that he must have learned Jenkins' secret, that Jenkins was the only human being who knew that Sir Roderick was responsible for Angela's suicide. Logically, he had to die first. But I still don't see that... Dr. Stanley does, despite his silence. Jenkins was the only human being who knew that Dr. Stanley had a motive for killing Sir Roderick. This is very melodramatic, Holmes, but I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about. Nor have I, except that you seem to be laboring under the delusion that I killed Jenkins. Of course you did. You had to, before you could kill Sir Roderick. Had Jenkins lived, he would have been suspicious of his master's death. But if he were out of the way, no one would have connected Sir Roderick's close friend and physician with his murder. The cellar stairs attempt failed... But last night's poison did not. And now he's trying to repeat the pattern. The glass over there contains strychnine and water. Of course it does. I assure you, this medicine is perfectly harmless. To prove it, I shall drink it myself. Stop him, Watson. Put that down. Put it down, I say. (coughs) It's too late. That was meant for you, Roderick. It was too good for you. Uh, Considering the way you... treated my sister, Angela... He's dead, Holmes Yes And you, Sir Roderick Have escaped a brother's vengeance I'm almost sorry that I insisted on trying to save your wretched life Well, just because you have saved it Don't expect anything as conventional as thanks or remorse My only regret is that during the past few minutes You've enjoyed an experience granted to very few men on this earth And what is that, may I ask? You have seen me speechless.
0: In just a moment, Dr. Watson will be back to tell us about next week's story. Ladies, here's some very important beauty advice from some of the world's most divinely beautiful women, Powers Models. Girls who are famous for their shining, bright, lustrous hair.
3: Powers Models wash their hair with cremo shampoo, this amazingly beautifying shampoo has been especially developed to actually glamour-bathe each tiny strand of hair so that it fairly radiates natural, dazzling highlights. Cremel shampoo leaves the hair simply abundant with natural, glossy luster. And what's more, your hair stays this way for days.
0: And doesn't cremel shampoo do a wonderful cleaning job on your scalp? Removes all loose dandruff as well as the dirt.
3: Yes, and it's wonderful to soften dry, brittle ends. Cremel Shampoo leaves your hair so much softer, silkier with a satin smoothness. Your hair holds a wave better, too.
0: So, ladies, buy a bottle of glamorizing Cremel Shampoo at any drug counter and see how easy it is to glamor bathe your hair to a vision of beauty. How easy it is now to have naturally lustrous, glossy hair. K-R-E-M-L, Cremel Shampoo. And now, Dr. Watson, what about next week?
1: Well, now, let us see. Next week, I think I'll tell you about the greatest shock that Sherlock Holmes ever gave me. Well, it must have been quite a shock, Dr. Watson. It was, Mr. Bell. I call it The Adventure of the Dying Detective.
0: Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Bruce Partington Plans. The music was composed and conducted by Alex Steinert, Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures. Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo, and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time when Doctor Watson will tell us about the Dying Detective. <laughs> ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.